please take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. The title of this series is Teach Us to Pray, and it is a focus on the Lord's Prayer. It is incredibly practical. We saw in the opening verses that Jesus gave us three principles for prayer. He looked at our motivation, should be about the Father. Our location should be alone with the Father. Our communication should be directed at the Father, us being transparent and open with Him. And then when He teaches us the Lord's Prayer, it is a pattern for prayer, almost, almost like headings. And He says, I want you to pray in this manner, in this way, and take each of these areas and let it be a focus in your prayer life. And so last week, we looked at the opening phrases, Our Father, who art in heaven, the old King James used to say. And, and when you look at that, and it's followed with the phrase, Hallowed be thy name, we saw almost immediately that Jesus was almost continuing the thought that he'd already given us. The place where we begin in prayer is a relationship and a context of a child with his Father. That you and I are to approach him as father, call on him as father. And I really can't go past that point until that is a reality in my heart, my soul. The first petition, the first request, hallowed be thy name. We saw was a, a cry that God would take his name and sanctify it on planet earth. That the whole world would know him as we know him, that as you and I encounter him and experience him, our first desire should be that everyone would know him like that and to ask God to work in our time, in our place, in our generation in such a way that all the world would say, look at that, look at God, look at who he is. But today we come to this verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6. And the Bible says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, it is, it is a joy to come before you with your people and to sit at your feet and let you teach us how to pray. And Father, we know that no matter how old we are or how long we have followed you, that there's more, much more, to know, to learn about our walk with you. But Father, I think I join a lot of people here this morning in saying that we want to know you and your heart and how to pray as much as we can on this side of heaven. And so we welcome you here. And I ask you through your spirit to be our teacher and our guide. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, children hear us pray at home or at church or in the Sunday school class, and it's cute when they try to follow along and do what we do. A three-year-old named Reese said, 
hearing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. They don't quite hear it. I have that problem. There are a lot of lines to hymns that when I finally read them, it was added a totally different meaning for me than what I had been singing. One particular four-year-old prayed, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) That was insightful. One mother wrote that she'd been teaching her three-year-old daughter to pray the Lord's Prayer at night before she went to bed, and so line by line she was teaching her, and she would stay the line, and the child would repeat it after her until one night she was at a place where she was prepared to say it herself, and so she, she went solo, and she, the mother said she listened with pride as her daughter carefully enunciated each line of the Lord's Prayer right up to the end when she said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email, amen. <laughs> Another mom invited some people to dinner, and she had all these guests around the table, and her six-year-old daughter was there, and she thought, I'm going to call on her to pray. And so she says, sweetheart, I want you to pray the blessing. And she looked stunned, and the six-year-old looked at her mom. She said, but mom, I don't know what to say. And her mom said, well, just, just pray the, what you've heard me pray. And she says, okay. Dear Lord, why did I invite so many people here? And I believe with all my heart, God has called you and I to be like a child coming to his or her father. We saw that last week, but he does not want us to be childish. He wants us to be fully informed and aware of how he wants us to approach him and the things that that we're to focus on as we pray. And so as we come to these words in verse 10, your kingdom come, that's one petition, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is another petition. But they really do go together, and we'll see that here in just a moment. I want to focus first on the word kingdom. The word kingdom. Now, if you were here on Sunday nights last fall, you, you know that we spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, particularly as it was referenced in the Old Testament. And the kingdom of God, the word kingdom, means different things to many people. Some, some of us think of, of kingdom as a place the kingdom of France, or the kingdom of, of some place. And we think of it in terms of geographical terms, and obviously that cannot be what is being described here when we ask for the kingdom to come. And sometimes we think of it as, as people. Uh, the people are a kingdom, and sometimes we get the notion that the church is somehow the kingdom of God. And that's really not true, and we don't have time to discuss that, but the church is a product of the kingdom of God but the church is not the kingdom of God. And so let me say it this way, the kingdom of God is not a people or a place, but it is the ruling power of God. When you see the word kingdom, more often than not in the New Testament, it is describing God acting. God acting. His ruling power being expressed in some circumstance or situation. Now, when we talk about this phrase, your kingdom come, if it means the expression of God's power, what does it mean to pray, your kingdom come? Well, there's a range of possibilities. The Jews, as we know, 
because of what they knew about the kingdom in the Old Testament, they expected a political revolution. They expected Jesus to usher in this, the end time arrival of the kingdom of God when God will finally, certainly, completely defeat every enemy. And all evil will be put away and all sin will be put away and there will be no more suffering and no more pain, no more Satan. All of that will change and when the perfect expression of the rule of God is made, that will come at the end of time. And, and the Jews anticipating that when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they were thinking, well, this is going to happen. The final arrival of the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus agreed with that to a point. He talked about what it would look like when the end came, when that day came, when the kingdom came. But he also taught something else that they were not prepared for, and eventually on Sunday nights we're going to delve into this, the kingdom of God as Jesus taught it in the Testament. But Jesus agreed that there's a final arrival of the kingdom, but he also taught that the kingdom was available now to those who would repent and put their trust in him and who would follow him. They could experience the kingdom now. They could enter the kingdom now. So what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? We don't have to wonder in this instance what Jesus means. Because the very next petition amplifies and explains what he means when he says to pray your kingdom come. He says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he means. When you pray your kingdom come, you're asking him that his will in heaven would come to earth. To pray like this says three things about you. First, if you pray your kingdom come, you're praying, you're saying that you are not satisfied with things as they are. That you're not satisfied with things as they are. If you're asking for God's kingdom to come, you're looking at the landscape around you, you're looking at the world, you're looking at your circumstances, and you're saying, this is not good enough for me. I need something more. I want something more. I long for something more. You're not satisfied. And if you feel that way and you feel that intensely, you are in the flow of everything that we understand from Scripture about this world today. Because the world that you and I live in is not the world that God originally created, and it is not functioning the way he intended it to be. It's broken. He made it good. Everything he did as he created the world, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he gave dominion of the earth, it says in Genesis 1.28. He gave the rulership of the earth to Adam and to Eve. And when sin came into the equation, and Adam and Eve sinned, and they rejected God's rule over their life, this, this incredible gift that God had given to them, this dominion over the earth, they lost it. And who picked it up? Well, the enemy picked it up. Satan picked it up. And if you want an explanation for all that's wrong in creation and all that's broken and all that's unnatural and all that shouldn't be, that's it. Our sin, the corrupting work of Satan. Satan took what God had given to us and made it his kingdom and made us slaves through sin. 1 John 5, 19, years after the cross, the apostle writes these words. We know that we are of God. And the whole world, the whole world, he says, lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
So every person is caught up. You and me, every person in this room, everyone outside of this room, everyone that's breathing today is caught up in a massive spiritual conflict for souls. As demons flow into the doors of our hearts and our minds, doors we have left open through our individual rebellion and our sin, and the result is every horrible crime, every disease, every killer storm, every death, all suffering can be traced to that loss of life that flows from the rule of God in the human heart. A real loss. And the person who prays your kingdom come refused to accept a world like that. Says, I'm not satisfied with that. It's not okay. It's not natural. And why? Why do you and I feel that way if we're believers? Because the truth about the world is this. The truth about the world is not what I just told you. The truth about the world is found in verses like Psalm 24, verse 1, that say the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, it's one of my favorite quotes that describes the world and the condition that you and I live in. He says, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war. But it does not think this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. So this world is in a state of rebellion, and it is broken, and creation has been corrupted. But there's a king coming. There is a king coming. And when he comes fully, all of that will change. But his coming, the kingdom of God, is available now to every follower of Jesus Christ. To pray like this said so that you are not satisfied with things as they are. This morning, up in the balcony, I think on either entry up there in the back of the balcony, and down front on either end of the front pew, we have prepared for you a 21-day prayer guide. And I want you to take one, if you'll use it. And you say, why 21 days? Because on February 22nd through the 25th, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, we have a guest speaker named Jerry White who's going to come and speak during our, our spiritual growth emphasis that we're calling Ignite this year. And this 21-day prayer guide will help you each day give you a prompt, give you something to think about, and give you a prompt and help you pray for those meetings, for the speaker, for every person that comes, but also for yourself. Because what makes all the difference for you and me is when he comes and rules in our heart. And we want to prepare our heart for the king. And we want to go to the next step, whatever it is, for us as individuals 
and as a congregation. So I want to encourage you to take one of these um, this morning before you go. We've got 500 of them. If we should run out, this is available as a downloadable file off of our website, winbaptist.org, and we'll be posting the individual devotions each day on our uh, various social media. To pray like this says you are not satisfied with things as they are. Your kingdom come. It means you're not satisfied. Secondly, it means you are longing for life under his rule. You are longing for life under his rule. God did not leave humanity without hope. He sent us his son to recover what we lost, the dominion that we lost. That's why Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. It looked like a shortcut to fulfill his mission. Of course, Jesus saw through that quickly. Jesus came to restore what had been corrupted, to release what was in bondage, to reconcile us to the Father. And everywhere he went, he preached the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I've described that to you before, what that, what that means, what that looks like. But he's saying that the kingdom of heaven, the, the ruling power of God is here right now. Not something just in the future, but here right now. He's saying that in my ministry, in my teaching, in my preaching, and in the hearts of those who follow me, the end of the world has already come. The way the world's going to be in their heart has already come. And so everywhere Jesus went, he preached that way. And everywhere he went, it seemed like Satan came unglued. Have you noticed that? You can't help but read the New Testament and see it. Everywhere he goes, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. And, and Satan says, wait a minute. What about my kingdom? And Jesus said, go, leave. Jesus defeated Satan in every encounter, so much so that at one point they actually accused Jesus of somehow working with Satan because everywhere he went, he expelled the demons and he healed the, the damage that the demons had done. Matthew chapter 12, they, they actually did this. They said, they said, oh, he casts out demons because he's drawing somehow on the, the prince of demons, the power of demons, Beelzebub. And that's how he does that. And Jesus said, that's silly. And I'm paraphrasing. A house divided against itself cannot stand. But then he offers an explanation. You need to hear this very carefully because it helps us understand what we're praying when we say, your kingdom come. He says this in Matthew 12, verse 28. But if I cast out demons... By the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When I pray, your kingdom come, what am I asking for? I'm asking for that. That his ruling power would be expressed. He said, I'm just not preaching the kingdom. I'm demonstrating the kingdom. And so he would retreat for, for periods of time regularly. He would pray. He would seek the Father. This was his pattern for prayer. He taught it to his disciples. He said, when you come to pray, come to him, our Father. Lord, the one in the heavens, sanctify your name. Let everyone know you as I know you. Let everyone look at you and say, God is great. God is holy. And then pray, Lord, your kingdom come. The way that you rule in heaven, Lord, there is no sin, no Satan, no disruption. There is no corruption. There is nothing broken. Everything that you want done in heaven is done Everything obeys you. Everything yields to you. Everything is good. Everything is life. Lord, the way that you rule in heaven, your will in heaven, would you cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? 
So when you and I pray like that, we're asking that the ruling power of God would come into our circumstances, that the ruling power of God would come into our needs, that the ruling power of God would be expressed in our generation, in our time, and in our space. We're not just asking for the kingdom to come at the end of time. We're asking for the kingdom to come right now. And so if you pray like this, you're longing for his rule now. The pray like this says you're not satisfied with things as they are. It says you are longing for life under his rule. And thirdly, it means you are pursuing your role in his plan to redeem the world. You're pursuing your role in his plan to redeem the world. We're going to talk more about this next week, but but here's a fact for you. Jesus taught us to pray these words. He taught us to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The king is telling you to ask him to come. And you have a part in that. He tells you to pray because you have a part to play in his plan. Now God's plan is perfect. God is in charge. He has a perfect plan. And if he is in charge, in my mind I know he can do anything he wants to do. And if that's true, why? Why does he need me to pray? Why does he tell me to pray? Why does he almost, it seems, beg me to pray? Ask. 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 Why? I want you to listen very carefully. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Why? Why is that true? Look at the next verse. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, here's your answer. I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. God has a plan, a will that he's going to carry it out. He's a king, and in heaven his will is perfectly expressed. He is sovereign. He is the king. He dwells in the heavens. He does whatever pleases him. He is completely in charge. He is completely in control. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is not making up what he's going to do as he goes along. But in a way that is mysterious and not very easy to understand, he has ordained the means for accomplishing his will on earth. The king chooses to work through the prayers of his people. And we'll look at that more, like I said, next week. All right, quickly. How can I apply this to my prayer life? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can I apply this to my prayer life? First, by intentionally submitting my will to his when I pray. He says, your will be done. If I'm praying, your will be done. Of necessity, that means my will is not going to be done. You with me? It's not about what I want. It's not about my will. And... Um, and Jesus illustrates this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke twenty two forty two. You remember he prays, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so what is happening is even the Lord Jesus, 
who comes as an ordinary human being. He is God in the flesh. He is God with us. But he lives his life as an ordinary human being. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane essentially with two wills. Lord, is it, if it's possible, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. And you see that in the heart of the Son. And he's the one that's teaching us to pray like this. Your will be done. So of necessity, if I'm going to pray like this, I've got to come already with my mind made up that what I'm praying about and what I want to pray about and what I'm seeking is the will of God. Number two, how can I apply this to my prayer life? By expecting him to guide me when I pray. To guide me when I pray. If I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know what's going on in heaven. I need him to teach me. I need him to guide me. I need him to show me. Expect him to guide me when I pray. Because what I'm asking him to do is to take what's happening in heaven, what God is doing in heaven, his will in heaven, I'm asking him to bring that to earth. John Stott said, Jesus bids us pray that life on earth may come to approximate more nearly to life in heaven. That's what I'm praying. That this, this, this thing I'm praying about, this thing that I'm bringing to the Father, would be more like heaven than it is like earth. Now there's one simple goal when I ask him to guide me to pray. One goal. And that's this, praying for what he wants. Praying for what he wants. In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so my goal when I pray is not to think up, in a, and um, again, we'll talk more about this next week, but, but most of the time we think of this, here I am, and, and then I pray, and it gets to God, and then he does something. And he's waiting on me to kind of figure out what to do. And that's, that's really not a true picture. The picture is God is taking the initiative. He has a plan. He has a will. And my assignment is to ask that the will of the Father would be done in my life and in those that I'm praying for. And so in, in guidance, I'm praying for what he wants. How do you want me to pray, Lord? How do you want me to pray about this situation? How do you want me to pray for this person? What is your desire? What is your will for them? Now, he gives us two powerful resources to pray like this. First, he gives us his word. He gives us his word. In John 15, verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, notice the conditions before I can ask what I want. Before I can ask what I want, what's on my heart, what I desire, before I can ask it, he says, if you abide in me. This is a person who's all about Jesus. This is a person who's made his home in Jesus. He has immersed himself in Jesus. He is walking with Jesus. He says, if you abide in me, and my word, the words of Jesus and, and the word of God, abides in you, then... You can ask what you desire, and it'll be done. Why? Because what's happening is God has a heartbeat for what he wants to accomplish, and you have a heart, 
And, and what's happening is if you're abiding in him and his word abides in you, is slowly but surely he's going to bring you in alignment with what he wants to do. And your heart's going to begin to beat with the heart of God. And at that moment, you can ask. And he gives us his word for that. And, um, and we'll talk more about this later, but you can, you can look for promises in the word of God. You have to be careful with it. Make sure you're asking the right thing. But what God promises, he does. You can look at how God has acted in the past and discern from that something of the heart and the character of God and what pleases God and come to him and say, Lord, based on your word, at your word, what you have said, what you have done, I'm asking you to do this. And there is a way to pray the word of God that makes the word of God your greatest resource in knowing the will of God. We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's a second resource, his spirit. His spirit. His Holy Spirit. When you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And he's there to be your teacher in John 14, verse 26. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So, so at first glance, the Holy Spirit is my resource. He is there to help me navigate the Scripture, help me navigate what's happening, and help me recall and understand what the heart of Jesus is in this circumstance so I know how to pray. To call all things to remembrance, okay? So I have the Holy Spirit helping me do that. But can I take it a step further? I want you to look at Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. It'll be on the screen. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Look at the first, first verse. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. And the word weakness there is actually singular. It's just he helps us in our weakness. Literally describes someone with no strength, who is helpless, who is powerless. And he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we have no strength. Now, when does that happen? Well, that's usually happening when I decide to pray for most of us, <laughs> isn't it? Most of the time when I go to the Lord and I'm serious about praying, I'm in trouble. I have a need. I have a problem. And, and, and most of our praying, unfortunately, starts there. But the truth is you are always needy. You are always helpless. You are always dependent on him. And the Spirit, it says, helps us. Now, let me give you the Greek word behind the word helps. Okay. Sunanti lambanomai. It's about that law. And it says helps. And this word, the first part of it means together or with. The last part of it, anti lambanomai, means to take hold of opposite together. Oh, oh. What is that? What does it mean when it says the Spirit helps us? Uh, we had to move a couple times over the last two years. We moved in the mission house. We moved our stuff in storage. We built a house. We moved our stuff out of storage into the house, and we've had to move some things since then. And uh, over the years, as we have moved, uh, I can't move everything by myself. There was a time I could put everything in the trunk of my car. That was a really long time ago, and I was just by myself. But now we have these things, and I, I remember... We don't have it anymore, but we used to have this sleeper sofa. Y'all remember that sleeper sofa? Sleep, oh, that dude was heavy, heavy. Now, I could get, I'm, I'm 
I can do this. I get down, get under the, the sleeper sofa, and I could lift one end of it. But we're not going anywhere. I mean, I, that's it. I can't lift it by myself. I need someone to get on the opposite end and to lift the other end up. That's what helps me. In my first pastorate, um, we had a lot of logging that went on in North Mississippi, and, and there were a couple of guys that logged the old-fashioned way. They would have horses that would drag the logs out of the woods, and they used something like this. This belonged to Gail's grandfather. Uh, and um, it's called a single tree. How many of y'all know what a single tree is? This is really dangerous for a guy that had nothing to do with a farm growing up. Talk about a single tree. And uh, y'all can tell me better afterwards, but I'm going to talk about it for just a moment, okay? If I'm, if I'm uh, steering the animal, uh, this is the thing that attaches to the load. This part of it goes back to the load. If I've got one horse or one animal in front of me, this thing has um, reins that go up to either side of that animal. One that goes up the left side, one that goes up the right side, and it's right here. And the purpose of that is to distribute the load so that the animal's not going, uh, 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 just pulling on the right side to pull the load or just pulling on the left side. But he can pull the load with the weight equally distributed on either side. If I add another animal to it, I add another one of these behind the animal, and I put one of these to control those two things so that the weight gets distributed all the way through. It's a single tree. By myself, when I pray, I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't. But when the Holy Spirit helps me, everything changes. When he comes alongside and he, he climbs into the yoke with me, that's what this verse is describing, is that he comes in with me. Now, that tells me right away that the kind of praying that's described here in Romans 8 requires me and the Holy Spirit. What God wants to accomplish, he intends to accomplish using me and the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit and leaving me out, but both of us together. The Spirit does not replace us. He helps us. Now why or how? Look at the next verse. Um, there's my part. I can't do it alone. There's a the Holy Spirit's part. What is his part? What is he doing? For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us or on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. How? According to the will of God. There it is. According to the will of God. That's the missing link. There are times when I will understand what God wants to do, and I can come before him and say, Lord, based on your word, based on what you have shown me, Lord, I'm asking you to enter into this circumstances and this situation to do this. And I'm asking this according to your will. There are other times I don't have a clue. Should I not pray? Should I give up? Should I just sit back and say, God, you got this? He says there are those moments, all your praying is this way. Those moments when you come to him, the Holy Spirit, he's your helper. 
He is to be there for you all, that Jesus would be if he were there in person. He comes with you, and you pray, and the Holy Spirit helps you. He doesn't replace you. He helps you according to the will of the Father. And then thirdly, how can I apply this to my prayer life? By submitting my will, by expecting him to guide me, then number three, by trusting that my Father and King will answer when I call. It is the Father's heart to answer your prayer. He would not tell you to pray, your kingdom come, if he did not intend to answer the cry of his child who's praying, your kingdom come. We used to joke in college. You know, in the old days, we used to have to remember phone numbers. Remember that? And, and those of us who are old enough, we, we had this amazing capacity to remember Phone numbers. What's their phone number? Oh, I'll just say, oh, and we just rattle it off. Phone numbers. And now I can't tell you my wife's phone number. Why is that? Because I just, I say, Siri, call Gail. <laughs> you know, I, I punch one number or I, or I just tap her name or something and it dials her number. I don't have to remember her number. And so we used to talk about God's phone number. God's phone number is Jeremiah 33 3. And it expresses the heart of God when you pray. He says, call to me, and I will answer you. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That is the Father's heart. That's the Father's heart. The Father is calling you to call on him. He promises to answer you. In Romans eight thirty two, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for his all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He gave you Jesus, child of God. And he says, call on me. Call on me. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, one of the questions you might have is, does God hear the prayers of a person who doesn't know Christ? I can tell you that in the sense that God knows everything, of course he does. He hears, he hears that person pray. I believe in Acts 10, he heard the prayer of Cornelius, and he answered Cornelius' prayer by sending a messenger with the gospel to share with him how a person could be saved. You see, the greatest need of your life right now is not for a job or to heal your marriage or to, uh, to take care of some financial need in your life. The greatest need you have right now, if you don't know Christ, the thing the Father's most ready to give to you is the redemption, the forgiveness, the new life that is yours in Jesus Christ. And he is ready to give that to you right now. And the prayer that you pray for that is not a magic formula, but it is a heart cry. that says, Father, Father, I am sorry for what I've done. I've lived my life without you. I'm turning Lord, from this life without you. And all I've done is mess it up. And I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins. I'm asking you to change me on the inside. And because you sent your son to die for my sins, I know I can be forgiven. And I thank you for providing salvation for me in Jesus. And so, Lord, right now I'm trusting you to save me, to take my life. To change me from the inside out. That's the kind of prayer that God wants to answer in your life right now. If you don't know him. 
And so in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and I'm going to ask you to come. And um, I'm going to ask you to pray with the pastors that will be down front. Or you can pray right there in the pew when we're standing and singing. You may just bow your head and cry out to him and say, Lord, Jesus died for me. I know you sent him for me, and I'm putting my trust in him. But when we stand and sing, I want to encourage you to share that with the rest of us. If you still have questions, concerns, you're trying to figure this out, come and talk to our pastors. They'll, they'll share scripture with you. You can read it for yourself. An old child of God, for the next 21 days, would you join me each day and pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Win, Arkansas as it is in heaven. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through this simple verse, verse 10. And right now, Lord, we ask you to come among us. Through your mighty Holy Spirit, would you guide us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray.